down to is Kyrie Irving. When you talk about him being his team, it's not the Boston Celtics. It's Danny Ainge's team. It's Brad Stevens' team. People are talking like we won't still have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Marcus Smart. And don't forget about Al Horford, Gordon Hayward, Brad Stevens, and Danny Ainge. Welcome to the Celtic Center. You've entered the Celtic Center with Adam and Tim. And today, we need to recap the introductory press conferences for Ennis Cantor and Kemba Walker. Tim, I know you've got some notes on these, so do you want to take the wheel? Yeah, sure, man. So, um, just going off of everything that we've had occurring over the past month and a half, everything going on with free agency, uh, it definitely felt like a, 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 brush, uh, a fresh breath of air uh, when it came to everything with the introductory conference um, with Walker and Cantor. Um, one interesting tidbit was actually that Ennis Cantor had originally gotten his phone call um, from Kemba Walker to recruit him off of Danny Ainge's phone, um, which is pretty cool, um, especially since it seems like after everything that kind of went down with Al Horford leaving and Kyrie Irving um, leaving in the way that he did, um, the fact that there was this kind of a quick turnaround to get us back into that you know, conversation for contenders in the East um, is pretty awesome. Uh, apparently from what, I don't know, you could take this as a massive grain of salt, but Danny Ainge also said that plan A was Kemba Walker and Ennis Cantor, and that he also knew that Kyrie Irving was planning to leave anytime around March or April. I think he knew before that, but moving on after that, um, talking about Kyrie Irving's stint here, they don't blame him for leaving. He said that apparently he, he was giving off vibes that Kyrie Irving wanted to go home. Brooklyn is in New Jersey, but it is what it is. <laughs> and uh, Kanner, of course, took a jab with Kyrie Irving uh, with that number 11 commercial about uh, with the Nike ad talking about wanting to retire number 11. Um, so, I mean, overall, it seems like there's a little bit more positivity in the room, especially as it pertains to what kind of vibe we were getting from Kyrie Irving, the overall stress and drama of last year. It's very much a change of pace that I think a lot of fans are going to be easily able to embrace. Um, and it seemed like Kemba Walker was really just gushing about the Celtics, especially with the young core. It gave off the impression that he was talking to Jason Tatum during the season pretty regularly last year. Um, I think because they're both Jordan athletes, they were talking pretty frequently. And then on top of that, too, he said he had talked to Jalen Brown during the playoffs. And, of course, e even in the uh, interviews that they had during this period of time uh, with the with the press on Wednesday, was talking about how he had tried to recruit Gordon Hayward uh, back during Gordon Hayward's restricted free agency. Um, he had signed an offer sheet with Charlotte, and uh, the Jazz ended up matching it. So there's that whole layer there as well. So I think, I think having that do it together again is going to be good. And in terms of the bigs that were available, who was signed and everything, and who seems to be a good locker room and chemistry guy, Ennis Kanter isn't the worst fit ever. And it'll be interesting to see how they play defensively uh, with him now playing that five spot. And even then, I'm not even sure it's guaranteed that he's going to start there. But there's there's a lot to talk about in terms of how this team's going to mesh together. And I think after everything last year, I'm just... I'm just excited for October, man. I'm just excited for a, a fresh start. I think everyone's going to benefit from it. And 
we'll go from there. Just to piggyback off of Kemba saying he, well, Kemba being part of Jordan brand, same as Jason, there was an interview that started doing its rounds on Twitter today where Kemba actually said he spent some time over abroad with Jason earlier this summer. And Jason being such a high character guy and like just chilling with Kemba and not trying to recruit him to the team specifically, like at no point did he apparently ask Kemba to join was actually a huge pull for Kemba to join because he felt like Jason Tatum was a high character, uh, mature young player that's going to improve. And he wanted to be a part of that. And then he also alluded to spending some time with Jalen Brown and his family out in Africa. I think that was two years ago. And he said, yeah, dude, um, I'll send you the thing. And he was saying like, he got to meet Jalen Brown's mom, his dad, his brother, super good family. And he likes how intelligent Jalen Brown is. And he feels like those two plus him will become, will become really formidable moving forward. So that's a, I mean, I tweeted that out on the Celtic center saying the way he's conducted himself so far has been nothing short of brilliant because he's saying all the right things. He looks genuinely happy to be part of this team. And that's going to be hard too, for him to leave Charlotte. Um, and you look at the way that he's gone about everything, as you said, with the press and the media, he even went out for his Jersey number. Um, the 8th, I think his birthday is May 8th. So that was the rationale behind picking number eight, not even just because of Antoine Walker, um, former Celtic great. And he also reached out to Antoine and got his blessing for the number. So he's obviously amped up about that as well. Um, but, you know, he's always been a high character guy. I've never had any question of what kind of player Kemba is. He's stuck it out through Charlotte. Um, through thick and thin and they've just never built around him properly so to be in boston now where you've already got this relatively established core of young talent that's only going to get better there's a lot to like about the situation in boston and and the funny thing is with everything with kyrie irving with him being out some games and starting terry rozier back in the playoffs in 2017 we had all this talk about oh the Celtics are better, you know, without Kyrie Irving. And he finally leaves and it's like, oh, the Celtics are screwed. And they go out and get Kemba Walker and all of a sudden it's like, oh, Kemba Walker's overrated. And it's like, there's no winning in terms of popularity uh, with fans, but... Haters gonna hate, bro. Haters gonna yeah, hate. It's just It just waters down to that, but I think Kemba is such a good talent and he just seems like such a solid guy. To have that kind of presence in the locker room is a huge, huge win for this team. Yeah, and I mean, one of the best words to describe Kemba is humble. He's a millionaire, dude, and the way he sits, just his body language in interviews, in, well, from any aspect we've seen of him since he's come to Boston, he just seems so happy to be here, and he isn't walking around like he's the shit. He's not being abrasive with the media. He's embracing everything that's thrown his way, and he said um, in another interview I saw where he was saying, Sometimes it was tough in Charlotte. They weren't always in a winning situation. And when he's looked over at Boston, they've always been at least competitive. And he even admitted that's not to say that they're going to be competitive this year. But that's something that he and the team need to work on. And did you see the part where he said, like, um, I want to get my teammates and we'll go out for meals together and we'll pl- get yeah, late just small practices stuff. in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
like those things, those little things do build habits, dude. That builds a camaraderie. And that's what was missing last year. That's what we had with the IT years. And, you know, through 2008 as well, when it was a championship year, these guys need to be a cohesive unit. So when the chips are down and your back's against the wall, you trust every man out there with you. You go to war with these guys. Yeah, and the the thing, the little bit there where he's talking about, you know, just going out and hanging out with people, it's just like the very basic, bare minimum what you need to do in order to establish any kind of chemistry. And as you were saying, you mentioned in 2008, you know, we've had a lot of comments come out from Pierce and KG about that era, you know, talking about hanging out with guys, you know, at one point during the playoffs, during that 2008 championship run, you know, you, you had, oh, yeah, let's get the old vets together. And it was KG, Pierce, and Sam Cassell. Ray Allen stepped out of that. So, like, you know, you look down a few years few years down the line there and Ray Allen bolted for Miami. So, you know, you had a few years of contention and competitiveness and you were right there every single year. Ray Allen leaves, everything changes. But that just goes to show how important chemistry is with this team. And especially with a team like the Celtics right now, where you've got Jalen Brown's going to be restricted free agent next summer. Uh, Gordon Hayward's going to have a fourth year player option next year. After this season and after the summer, after that, you're going to be looking at extending Tatum. We talked about this before we started the pod today. So there's a lot of things that can go right. A lot of things that can go wrong. Um, But most importantly, you have to make sure that all these pieces fit. I think when the Celtics went out and they got Kyrie Irving, he was a flashy name. I don't think they expected him to be available. Um, and to be fair, in his in his respect, with everything the way that Kyrie handled the media when he first came here, everything was fine. His in- introductory press conference was just as electric as Kemba Walker's was, um, to an extent. While um, we're on the subject it, of Kyrie, yeah. Have you seen any of the quotes from Spencer Dinwiddie's podcast with, uh, was it with Stadium? I have, and I, I've been trying to give it as very little life as humanly possible because <laughs> there's, there, to me at this point now, everything that's happened with Kyrie, I put it in my review. That's I still got to do the something thing- with the jersey. You know, I got to donate it or something, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's done. You put know? it away until it's vintage. That's what I'm telling everybody to do. Yeah, maybe, maybe. It will never be vintage, by the way. It's it's just never going to be vintage. But the one thing (laughs) I was wondering was when Dinwiddie actually came out and said Kyrie was asking if there was fights after games in the locker room, like if everything was as it seemed or if it was actually like that, you know? And is that indicative of how the Celtics locker room was? I mean, we'll never know because we're not insiders, but... If that is the case, and there was that type of level of friction, then you can't blame Al Horford for wanting to be out of there as well because it's left a sour taste in his mouth. I think there was some of that. I mean, there had to be some kind of physical altercations that happened. I mean, if you look at that video from Miami, the beef between Brown and Morris, you know, I think Morris is kind of like, hey, I got to make hay while the sun shines. I'm going into a you know a contract summer. I, I'm an older guy. This is my best chance at winning a championship. I, and on top of that, if you look at the situation where 
You had that interview coming out um, talking about the Celtics. You had that article from Jack McMullins talking about how the young guys went out in Miami and partied. I don't know if Brown was part of it. He very well could have been. But there was clearly a gap between the young guys and the old guys. With Al Horford, it's an interesting situation because obviously locker room friction factors into it. Um, Beyond that, a major reason why he joined the 76ers is because his hardest player to guard, hardest center he had to guard, was Joel Embiid. So by going to Philly, he doesn't have to worry about guarding Embiid for 30-plus minutes a night. He doesn't have to worry about that at all. The hardest big he's going to have to cover now is going to be what? Maybe Drummond, probably, most definitely, Yanis. I mean, those are probably the two hardest coverages he's got besides Miles Turner. So by removing that chance to have to guard Embiid, he automatically is like, hey, well, I'm getting paid money, more money than I would get in Boston. I'm in a contending situation. I'm cleansing my palate of this bad experience of this awful year we had in Boston. And, you know, you you avoid having to put more stress on those knees that were giving you so many problems the past year and a half. So Al Horford leaving makes a lot of sense. Danny Ainge made comments during the presser saying, you know, I think Al Horford wouldn't have left if he'd known that Kemba Walker was coming. So... But it's, it's, the thing, it's all speculation man. at this point. Like, what's yeah. happened's happened. And I feel like we should be looking forward. Like, Cantor, for all of his flaws on the court, off the court so far, he's embraced Boston. Did you see the video he put out where he was at the practice facility? Yeah. Like, I've, he's I've just happy to be up, here, man. dude. He, and, he, and he honestly seems like a good guy. He's, he's outspoken a little bit politically, but in, the, but in a good way. And for that, his uh, his passport from Turkey's been rescinded, so he's got to figure out how he's going to play in Toronto. Um, he's actually meeting with Senator Markey about that. <laughs> um, but, you know, he seems like he's never been a chemistry problem. He always seems like he's kind of like a goofy locker room guy. And while he is notoriously known, at least on Twitter, um, to not be that great of a defender, I don't think that reputation is completely earned i think if he's in the right situation and this goes for a lot of players i think if players are put in the right situation in the right system you can mask a lot of their inefficiency so the thing is as well with his defense i looked into this when we first got him there are times that he's bad he's terrible defending the post however jump shooters within the paint he he actually defends them at like the 75th percentile he's not bad pretty good yeah, it's not bad when people are taking jump shots. He'll close out on them, and his size alone will make them need to make an alteration during during motion. So, yeah, he's going to get bullied down low, but that's okay because Boston plays switchy basketball anyway. And if we get bullied down low, then we look to make a trade later on. But I feel like, and this got alluded to in a podcast last week, it's probably the best rebounding team the Celtics have had in over a decade. And that might make all the difference in the world because really that's that's what kind of killed them. You know, as good as a defender Al Horford is, like fantastic defender, like I cannot gush enough about how good Al Horford is on defense. I mean, he's put clamps on multiple big name guys at the five and four. He was never a great rebounder. He never was the better rebounder when he was with Atlanta 
You know, Atlanta, Atlanta's best rebounder when they were at their peak, at their prime, was Paul Millsap. So Al Horford is a great player defensively, but he was never a great rebounder. This is probably the best rebounder they've had since KG. And granted, like, don't get me wrong, this is not me comparing cancer to KG in any shape, way, manner, or form, other than the fact that if you look at the stats offensively for, like, offensive rebounds, Cantor is really, really high up there. He's a really good rebounder. Um, and if you look at a lot of the guys they've got at the three and four, they've got guys who are capable of getting rebounds, getting second chance buckets. Now, and something with defense as well that's preached from, dude, I'm playing our level of basketball out here is terrible. And it's still preached out here. Defense is an effort thing. If you put the effort in on D, then you'll be okay. You might still get blown by when you're coming up against All-Stars, but if you can force some missed shots and you've got a good rebounder to catch those and get those extra possessions on offense and stop those extra possessions on defense, like you say, that can make all the world of difference. The amount of times players... Dude, the amount of times teams were getting three or four extra chances off a miss. That shit hurt. Yeah, and it was regular, dude, for years. It's been like, you know, oh, they've missed a shot. Oh, they've grabbed the board. Missed again, grabbed the board. And now I feel like there's multiple players on this team that can can box out and grab those balls. Tice, Kanta, Vincent Poirier is an unknown guy, but apparently he's fucking good at grabbing boards and running the floor. That's what he's he been brought really in to good. do. If you, if, you, if you look at his highlight reel, that shit's scary. He he looks like a like a tatted up version. He's he's like the French version of Steve Adams. Like honestly, he looks like a French Dothraki. Um, <laughs> I, I I think there's a lot of opportunity at the four and five for the Celtics to kind of do some you know swapping around and seeing who you know is going to be the best fit um, depending on the matchup. But they've got a lot of guys who are capable of running the floor. I want to see Canner shoot the three. Um, that's something that they talked about in the presser. He's been doing that a lot in practice. I mean, if you had Aaron Baines pulling up in the playoffs, like you can have Canner shooting. I don't think he's at the very bare minimum. He's not a worse jump shooter than Baines, um, but he's, a, he's up there with terms of rebounding. So as you were saying, you're adding a bunch of guys who have a very specific skill set. And you just have a bunch of ball handlers and wings with bigs that can set screens to get boards. And, you know, it's going to suck in terms of trying to figure everything out and seeing where pieces fit. But this is a little bit, in terms of build, a lot different than we've seen in the past four or five years. And if you look statistically, the Celtics have not been particularly high in the rebounding stats for the past five years. They've gradually gotten worse since the Big Three era. Just worse and worse at grabbing boards. And at the end of the day, that's really what's going to screw them. Because if you're not hitting shots and you're not getting boards, you're fucked. Yeah, exactly. And this is why I'm not too worried. Another guy that I'm really high on right now, I look, I'm guilty of getting really high on young guys too early. That's probably my biggest flaw when it comes to like analyzing what's in front of us and what we have. But Grant, I'm, Grant Williams did. <laughs> I knew it was Grant. The Grant man. Williams, to me, will be a solid 15 minutes, maybe 18 off the bench. 
pretty much all season and he's going to need to learn. He's going to get bullied down low because he can't post up in the NBA as much. But it's the effort, dude. He's going to put the effort in. And when you, when you've only got one stretch player in Daniel Tice, and then, you know, Grant Williams went from shooting 0.53s a game in college to 3.4 in summer league. And he was hitting them at respectable clips, dude. If we can find him some open shots and get him stretching the floor and have somebody like Poirier that's apparently a fantastic floor ring runner, then I'm not too concerned. Brad Stevens is excellent at maximizing talent. Yeah, and... Oftentimes, what was thrown around last season was, you know, there was too much talent, too much talent trying to figure out how it fits. So this is on paper a less talented team, easily less talented than the team that we saw last year. But you're adding in a bunch of guys who are on the younger side, who are hungry, non-proven talents, guys who are looking for their slot on this team and in the league. So on top of that, you're adding a bunch of guys who are high chemistry too. Even the rookies seem to have a lot of camaraderie. Dude, the uh, first thing they Taco did was Ball. make a group chat. Yeah. And it's likable too. You know, like that's, that's something I want to hear about. And all these guys have seen, I'm, I'm waiting to see what's going to happen with Romeo Langford, especially since he was that first pick that we took. But all, everything I've seen out of these guys so far has just been encouraging especially where we've had such a rough season. You know, you're adding these guys who I'm like, wow, these guys actually could probably give you like 15 minutes a night. Some of these guys are going to find spots on this roster almost immediately. Carson Edwards, Edwards, dude. Yeah. Like, especially depending on how you're going about that starting lineup, he could easily be your starting point guard off the bench. And if you team him with a defense heavy guy, like either like, you know, if you, if you team him up with smart at the two, Man, there could be some really special lineup opportunities with these guys added in. Another thing I want to point into as well is, and this again was alluded to on Dim with these podcasts, which I hate having to refer back to, but it's it makes for a good talking point. Is that last year one of the things with Boston, as per apparently, allegedly Kyrie, was there was no pecking order. There was no definitive your option one, your option two option three and so forth it feels like we're gonna brad system's never gonna run on option one two and three it's just not the way he plays but it does feel like when when plays slow down and you're in a half court set and you just need a bucket you are gonna know right then kemba's option one jason's option two do you get what i'm saying it's gonna give a, it gives you that extra facet of the game where you can be like Ball movement's not moving. Give the ball to Kemba. Kemba will make something happen. And it's not going to be through the ISO, most likely. And and that's really, I think, where there's going to be that shift. Because I think if you look at the teammates that Kemba had around him, he really didn't have anyone he could do solidly. You know, if you look at even who he had at, you know, the three, four, and five, like everything the Celtics have right now, is monumentally better than what he's been dealing with for the past eight seasons. And I expect so, to see a huge jump in assists and points from Kemba just because of that. Yeah, and also just the system too. You know, statistically, every single you know point guard we've had in this system for the past couple seasons automatically are having like career best numbers. So if you have Brad Stevens, who is 
a pass-heavy defense-first coach going into a system where you're surrounded by guys who can move with the ball, guys who can shoot the three, guys who hustle on a defense, guys who make the right play first, then you're not having someone chucking up the ball with six seconds you know, into the shot clock. You're not having a guy trying, you know, dribble pass, pump fake, pull a three, six seconds into a shot clock. You're not having that situation. That's being eliminated because that's not good basketball. You know, I, I'm all here for the, for the fuck you three when you're, you know, it's a tie game and there's, you know, a minute and a half left in the fourth quarter. But you can't act like every possession is your last. You can't because it's not smart basketball. It's not sustainable. And I think that's part of the problem we have with Kyrie. I like Kyrie as a player. He's immensely talented. And I think if KD can get healthy, Brooklyn's going to make a hell of a difference. But at the end of the day, I don't think Kyrie was the best decision maker. And that's clearly very evident after the decisions he's made in this past season, both with the way he handled the media and with the way he handled his teammates. And who knows? I, I think there's a really good chance he was planning on leaving probably as early as November, considering that he spoke with Dinwiddie about New York in December. So I don't know what happened between October and December, but I don't know, man. I don't want to fuck that dude. The one thing I will say though, if you have the time or if any of the listeners have the time, go and watch a game or two of Kemba Walker in Charlotte and really pay attention to the way he moves after he removes, after he hands the ball off to another guy. As soon as that ball leaves his hand, watch his movement. He's running, he's cutting, he's driving the lane to try and either force the defense to collapse and allow the spacing for the shooter or to try and get the ball back in a better position. Then go and watch a game or two of Kyrie Irving because the movement is so different. Kemba is so much more active off-ball than Kyrie. And yep. it's just, it plays into pace and space basketball and team-first effort basketball so much more. There's a game I've been watching two or three times because I like to break it down a few times. Uh, you've probably seen me put some videos out from this game as well. And that was the last time that Charlotte played Cleveland. And in the first quarter alone, Kemba causes havoc by just distributing the ball out to the corners and then running in the opposite direction and then making like a dagger cut. And all of a sudden, defenders don't know when to switch. People are missing their man and Kemba's coming back out to collect the ball. And before you know it, there's no one on him because people have got so lost with with his movement off ball. I feel like him and Smart together as well. Um, when they, because there will be lineups when them two play together, the off-ball movement there is just going to cause headaches. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of opportunities for them to kind of switch up with how they're going about bringing the ball up the court. I mean, even with if you're going hypothetical, you've got obviously Kemba at the one, Jalen at the two, Tatum at the three. Those are three guys. All of them can bring the ball up the court. Tatum That's does it huge. a lot, to be honest. When Tatum's on the floor, like I'd say 25% of the time, Tatum's the guy bringing the ball up. And it makes a lot of sense, too, especially if you're going to start funneling your offense through him, at least at that wing spot. And I don't know. It, there's a lot of stuff that they can do in terms of offense. Now, my big question is, is with 
Jalen's extension coming up, and we really haven't heard any chatter on that. Supposedly, the Celtics have not reached out to him. Is there any bad blood left from what happened with Kyrie? Is there any bad blood there? Is he willing to talk extensions with the Celtics? Or do you start looking at a team like Indiana or Orlando and start looking at their younger bigs? Because there's a lot of opportunity here for the Celtics to bolster that four and five spot. And with Tatum and Hayward there, do you maybe try and explore some trades? Okay, well, first of all, the first thing I want to do is in regards to Kemba, no, sorry, in regards to the bad taste left in the locker room from last year by Kyrie, we've done a Pokemon episode that got released on Thursday um, where we refer, where we compared each player to a Pokemon. And I actually alluded to an argument for Kemba. I don't know if you're big on Pokemon, Tim, but I'm hoping you are for the sake of this. Um, I argued to the point that Kemba could be Chansey as a healing type Pokemon (laughs) (coughs) because he's going to come in and he's going to remove that sour taste. So you may start the years, you may start training camp and still have a little bit of that bad taste in your mouth. Part of that's good. You need to know what it's like to get your ass kicked so you're not scared of getting your ass kicked. Do you know what I mean? Learn you're not made of glass. You made mistakes. Don't make them again. But also playing with a guy like Kemba on the court and then being around somebody that just seems so infectiously positive off the court, I don't feel like there's going to be any bad taste there. And then to move on to what you said, we spoke about this before we started the podcast. I feel like it's one of Brown or Hayward due to, you know, if Hayward has a bad year, then you can count on him opting into that that player option. And then that becomes a tradable asset. Exactly, because it's an expiring contract anyway. <laughs> Which is fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. If he has a good year, then he's a tradable asset. Brown's the same. Brown can either play himself into a great contract with Boston or conversely play himself into a point where he's going to get a contract offer so big that Boston aren't comfortable matching that contract, you know? And that's what I worry about. If they were dead set, and this is my personal opinion, and I understand that it's not been done since Rondo, and Rondo was actually coming off um, a championship year when this was done, but if they were dead set on keeping Jalen, they'd be talking extensions now. They'd be having those conversations. They did it with Smart and they didn't make a decision. And Smart ended up going to see what he was worth in the free agent market, on the restricted free agent market. And they still gave him good money. That's the thing, too. Like, they still got a steal with Marcus, but like, it's not like he's making, you know, Avery Bradley four year deal money, you know? Yeah. And the other thing is the draft class this year, like 2020 draft class, is so weak that teams are going to have money that they can throw. Which makes me worried with Jalen. And that's, this is the thing too, is as much as I love having the Jays together, how do they fit together now when you add Kemba into the fold, when you've got Hayward coming back year two after the injury, he's sure to have some kind of jump up. Any on top of that too, you went out and you just drafted three guys or well two guys in the first round. You went ahead and you've got a guy in the second round who could play in Carson Edwards. You're talking about bringing in Taco Fall. 
So you're going to have more depth at the four and the five and some guys who can even play the three for you. So are you, are you capable of going ahead and dealing a guy like Jalen unsure of if you want to give him that extension or nervous about him potentially getting swooped up by another team? Or do you move him now for a guy who's going to not only help you for the long haul build towards that young core that you want, but also boost your immediate ceiling. So like a guy like, as we talked about before, Mo Bamba is a guy that I would consider with the magic. If you could potentially move Brown for him, that's maybe a move I would consider. Um, popular ones is obviously looking at the Indiana situation, especially since they just picked up uh, Goga in the first round. You could go after either uh, Sabonis or you could go after Turner. I don't know what it would take to get these guys. These are these are just thoughts, people, but they need a younger big to build around. And having a guy like Taco is great, but like I want something that's proven. It's the same thing goes for Time Lord, too. These are all great young building blocks, but I want proven product, especially when you're not sure what you're going to do with Brown yet. And, <laughs> and as you were saying, you know, the, there's been no contract talks. So, like, I don't know what the Celtics are waiting on. The biggest worry for me is a team like the Knicks that have got a bunch of players that are on a one-on-one. I hate the Knicks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It's true, but a bunch of their contracts are on a one-on-one. So they can just choose not to opt into Knicks. You know, they don't pick up the option. The Knicks choose not to pick up the option. They've all of a sudden got a bucket load of cash. And they've got as much as I hate to admit it, but they don't have a terrible young core with Dennis Smith Jr., with Kevin Knox, Mitch Robinson. Um, if they if they wanted to, they could come and put real pressure on the Celtics with an offer sheet. And teams will do that just to, just to one, test the waters, and two, to fuck with your cap flexibility moving forward. So don't be shocked when teams start offering, if it does get to this, where teams such as the Knicks and other fuck-ups come along and offer ridiculous contract money. One, because it'll benefit them if he signs. And two, it'll benefit them if we match. Because it kind of cuffs us tightly. Yeah, it removes it removes our flexibility. If we end up having to pay him Ben Simmons level, you know? And we've got Jason to fucking deal with the year after. That's one of the biggest questions. If we, regardless of who do we keep between Jalen and Gordon and you know I'm assuming Tatum's the one that stays and then we choose out of Brown and Hayward the best option is you make a decision and you move one of them for an asset that's on a longer term deal that gives you that stability it fills a void exactly yeah that obviously fills a need as well and I'm not not, I like Brown like a lot he's a really fun player to watch and I'm not trying to move him for nothing. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to ship him out of town. But right now, as your team is currently constructed, you need depth at the five spot. You need young building blocks. You need a guy who is a, a rising star who can fill that void. That's not to say that Brown isn't because he is. I just I don't know what you're going to see from Brown in the future. Is he going to be a fringe all-star and a really, really good starter? Or is he going to be that superstar talent? Or is he a fringe superstar? Is he worth paying $25 million a year? Or more than $25 million a year on, a, on an extension? And that's 
for me personally, it's it's a no. And it's not that he doesn't deserve it. It's just I am very hesitant to lock up that kind of money with a guy who we haven't seen take that extra level step. We've seen him and Tatum play extremely well together, but I haven't seen Brown truly go in, take over a game in a in a you know do or die situation, I've seen that with Tatum. Another Tatum question is as well: around. What if yeah. Brian ends up playing this season on the bench again? If Gordon takes the jump, then you can expect Gordon to be playing more first team than Brian. And that's an option that scares me a little bit too, because Brown deserves minutes. He does. He's he's a really good player, and you know he started playing more efficient, more efficiently with less minutes last year. And you had some of your best minutes as a team played with Marcus Smart at the two. So you're in this tough spot where you have to give time to Hayward, especially now him coming into year two. You know, you're hearing all this talk, all this talk about him. Oh, he looks faster. He looks slimmer. He's been hitting the gym every day. Like, And it's not like Brown's out of shape or something either, but like, you have to choose between th- those two guys who you're going to play at, you know, the three spot. And if Gordon spot. comes back with all-star level ability again, which I genuinely believe we're going to see 80 to 90% of Utah, Utah Gordon this year, it, do- it does become, well, maybe Brian does get moved for a Miles Turner or a Sabonis or, as we said, Mo Bamba. Maybe he is the the odd man out, so to speak, because we can't pay Jason, Jalen, and Gordon. It's going to be hard enough to decide if Gordon ups into next year's, like his plus one, his player option, then we've still got to decide, can we afford to pay both Gordon and Jason? And even then, like that's a really weighted decision. And I think it's far more likely than not going into next offseason that we see contract extension talks happen almost immediately with Tatum's camp. You know, regardless of the addition of Kemba Walker into the situation, Tatum is the face of the franchise right now. I think it's very easily um, pointed out to any given fan. You know, it's just very easily said that Tatum is the face of this franchise. And eventually there's going to come a time where he's going to be given the keys. I can't so easily say the same thing about Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown to me feels like um, he feels like he's going to eventually pan out to be an all-star, but it will be, it won't be every year and he will be a very, very, very high level role player, but I don't see him becoming a star. Yeah. And I mean that, that still isn't the worst thing ever. It really isn't like that's only so many players can say they're all stars year in, year out, or even a few times in their career. You know, uh, look at look at Andre Iguodala. Iguodala is a multi-time champion and a finals MVP. And he's been all-star nominated and played in all-star games a few times. But you're not paying him $25 million a year. You know, like... There was a point in time where he was getting paid really good money, especially in relation to the you know salary cap. But wh- like, where do you project Jalen Brown to be long term if you're the Celtics? And do you think that his potential warrants you paying him upwards of 
22, 24 million a year. And I just don't know if the Celtics are going to say yes to that. I can't see. I hope that they can come to an amicable agreement, maybe a reasonable contract. But like I said, there's going to be teams out there that are willing to throw the bus. And it just like it, it just comes into a number situation, you know. You just can't you you can't gamble with your salary cap when it comes to these young guys. Like you have to you have to think long term what's the best way to compete at. Especially when you're thinking about it like you're gonna have to worry about this extension either right now or you're gonna have to restrict the free agency next summer. And that's after one year of Kemba, you're gonna have bare minimum two the ops and you're looking at three and you could potentially have a fourth year of Gordon Hayward. So you've got other parts that are moving financially, other guys who have expectations of this roster. You have to do what's in your best self-interest. And part of me thinks that there is another move that's going to happen. That's going to free up some roster space, especially with the way that Ainge was talking about taco fall, potentially having a spot on this roster and them trying to work on his development, his contract they're clearly interested in him as a piece moving forward. It, it makes me feel like they're not done yet, especially since there was all those rumors about Steve Adams. Um, I don't think he's going to be the answer at this point now, especially with the way that money's shaking out and especially with the Thunder situation. But so they're not done yet. There's something else going on. I don't know what it is, but there's something else. And it will be... It may not be before the start of the season. It may carry on all the way up to the trade deadline. But I'm sure this team, as it's currently constructed, isn't going to be the team we see come playoff time. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. And that's pretty much all of the recapping and rumours that are done. Unless there's any other aspects you want to cover, Tim, before we wrap it up. Don't think there's anything else that comes to mind. Um, definitely looking forward to seeing more Celtics basketball. Sad that Summer League's already over, but hey, preseason will be here before you know it. Okay, guys, you've been listening to the Celtic Center. You can catch us on our live stream on Saturday, usually around 5.30 ET. And then another episode will be out covering statistical analysis on Monday with myself, Brendan, and Cody. And Tim will be back with us next Thursday. So we'll catch you again soon. Peace. Cheers.